encourage you to take your Bibles once more and go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 this evening. It's kind of neat to say that, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, Very shortly, we're going to wrap up our study in this book and move on to what the Lord has next for us. Uh, You'll have to bear with me this evening. Again, I'm going to start with another illustration from running. Uh, I was thinking about that this week. Uh, It's probably because that's one of those times where, whether I'm listening to a podcast or a sermon or scripture itself, my mind just kind of wanders while I'm doing it. I end up thinking about what we're going to look at on Wednesday or what we're going to look at on Sunday. And uh, so it kind of just ends up falling into place uh, by way of illustration. Um, I'm tempted to ask you tonight, I guess I won't put you on the spot, how many of you are regular treadmill runners? Because I am not, okay? Uh, But when Melinda and I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to go out to the Refresh Conference in Iowa, uh, I looked at the weather and I said, I'm not doing that. Um, Because when it's down in like the tens, I no longer run outside. It's hard enough to get the motivation in Pennsylvania when it's like 24, 25. I'm like, man, I don't want to do this. Uh, But it was really easy when we went to Iowa because there was like one day it's like eight, no, 12, no, and I'm, but I'm also one of those people, like, if I get out of routine, this is bad. So I'm like, this is great. The hotel has a treadmill. I can run on a treadmill. You know what's really good about treadmills? I'm thinking, like, I haven't done this before. Shame to admit it, I guess. I'm 40 years old, never ran on a treadmill. So I'm like, hey, this can't be that bad. It's flat. Like, in my neighborhood, there are hills and up and downs and things like that. I'm like, this is flat. This will be great. And so Wednesday morning rolled around. It's a running morning on Wednesday morning. So I head down nice and early, and I get on the treadmill. I'm really glad nobody's there, okay? Um, And I do notice as I'm going in that there is a security camera. Like, so there could be someone watching, all right? So I start running on the treadmill, and in my mind, I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm going to run for set amount of time. Um, That's not me. Some of you may be really good like that. I'm like, here's my distance, And the sooner we can get that distance done, we can be through with the agony. So I'm like getting on the treadmill and bumping it up and bumping it up, going like, how fast should we go? Like, I don't want to go too fast. I'm I'm old now, okay? I don't want to go too fast, but I do want to get this done. I don't want to be running for a long period of time. It did not take me long into that experience. Maybe you're a pro. Maybe you're just better than me. Maybe I'm ignorant. I don't know to realize this takes a lot of work. When I run through the neighborhood, I listen to stuff. My mind goes all over the place. I'm thinking, like looking around while I run. Not on the treadmill, because the next thing I know, I'm at the back of the treadmill. I'm on the left of the treadmill. I'm on the right of the treadmill, and it's dangerous. It's like this thing is moving. I don't want to fall. I don't want the person watching me on the camera to be laughing. Now, those of you that don't run on a treadmill, you're not allowed to laugh either. You give it a try and see how it goes for you. But it takes continual focus, at least for me, to run well. It takes focus that in normal, ordinary life when we're home, I don't have to have. I thought of that when we get to the text this evening, because we talked about running this morning and going, hey, when we run, we don't want to be on this error over here of just going, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm not really worried about what God says. I'll think about that later. That's an error. 
Or to go on the other side and be like, man, life is miserable. Let's just plug away in the misery. Let's not enjoy anything, but let's make sure we stick to the truth. Like there's a balance in the middle over here. And when I think about it in terms of running on the treadmill, I go, man, this takes focus. And tonight, the text is calling us to say, as you rejoice in this life, as you remove those things which trip you up, which cause pain, which bring sorrow, remember this. Remember this. Remember this. Again, I don't know how it is for you in the course of ordinary life, but I find it harder and harder to remember all the different things I'm supposed to do. I'm frequently, in fact, it happens sometimes when you guys are talking to me. I'm not trying to be rude, but you're telling me something I need to remember, so I'm grabbing my phone. Go on, let me put it in here because I need to remember this. I'm setting timers and reminders going, just ding me, just buzz me, help me remember. I don't want to miss this. But you know what we're looking at tonight is even more important than our appointment schedule. It's more important than our to-do list. And maybe some technological device can help us, but really, we do best to remember this when it's just ingrained in the fabric of our being. When it is a habitual process to go, I need to think this way. I need to think this way. I need to think this way. In fact, I would argue that simply coming to church on Sunday, coming back on Wednesday, helps you do what this text says. It's a reminding process. Going to the Word of God in the morning at the start of your day, or perhaps in the evening at the end of your day, is part of this process going, remember this, remember this, remember this. This morning we looked at our first responsibility, chapter 11, verse 9, rejoice, rejoice enthusiastically, rejoice presently, particularly in your youth, rejoice purposefully in your heart, driving it with this accountability that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Then we went from there to chapter 11, verse 10, and said not only is our responsibility to rejoice, our responsibility is to remove, both internally and externally, that responsibility is comprehensive, and the opportunity is limited. Because youth and childhood are fleeting, they are vanity. Tonight we come to our third and final responsibility, again, the outline's very clear, simple in the translation in front of us to say, remember. Because he says here in chapter 12, verse 1, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So we walk through the text in front of us this evening. Again, we're going to go from chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 7. We're going to look at three broad reasons why we need to obey this command to remember. Number one, we are called to remember as we rejoice because of God's sovereignty. We are called to remember as we rejoice because of God's sovereignty. Right at the outset in verse one, I just remind you that this command is focused on your memory. Be calling this to mind. Help yourself focus here. We are prone to wonder. Like, even as we're getting into the message, there are some in this room who you are a million miles away. Sometimes it shows on your face. Sometimes it doesn't. Okay? That's what happens to us. Like, in our fallibility as human beings, our minds go all over the place. 
And this text is saying, focus your memory here. Work hard at this. It takes intentionality. But this command is not only focused on our memory. Secondly, as we remember because of God's sovereignty, this command is focused on God's authority. Remember your creator. We touched it briefly this morning, but I would remind you once more, all over the place in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has portrayed God as in control and giving us our portion to enjoy. We could go all the way back to chapter 3. It's been quite a while ago now where he talks about these different seasons of life, and there's a time for this and a time for this and a time for that and a time for this, and we're reminded that God is in control of all of those different seasons of life. And whether it was before that in chapter 2 or after that in chapter 3 or later on in chapter 5 or again in chapter 7 or again in chapter 8 or again in chapter 9 or even as we saw at the end of chapter 10 this morning or chapter 11 this morning, God calls us to enjoy this portion that he has assigned. We live in a world that wants to find joy, happiness, satisfaction in life apart from a creator. Yet biblically, we are told that we have a creator who created a good world and gave us all things richly to enjoy. The world goes astray by failing to recognize, to even uh, recognize at the outset, let alone be reminded of God's authority as the creator. They, they want to do away with and argue against Genesis chapter 1 to 3. Like that verse right out of the gate in the Bible, in the beginning God created, like nope, don't buy it. Because if I can remove that authority, I can do as I want. I can live the way that I want. I can have the morality that I want. No one else can tell me what to do. I can find happiness as I so please. So let's throw off that authority. As we've seen recently, let's redefine our identity. Like that whole idea at the end of Genesis chapter 1 that God created genders, let's do away with that as well. Let's go into chapter 2 and see that part where God as creator defines what marriage looks like and institutes it. No, let's do away with that as well. That whole idea in Genesis chapter 3 of God said man disobeyed, that idea of sin, let's do away with that as well. Let's say God is not creator. Let's say God is not our authority. Let's buy into this lie of autonomy, of self-law. And again, it doesn't take us long logically to begin to push on that and go, okay, that's what you believe, but, but what do they over there believe? And what about this person here? And If it's all completely subjective, how do we live societally together? Someone has to be right, and someone has to be wrong, and it can't just be a matter of opinion. And that's where, as Bible-believing Christians, we would do well to remind ourselves and also uphold to others that the way that life is best enjoyed is by recognizing the sovereignty of God and his authority as creator. When we recognize God's authority as creator, it speaks to our identity. I'm not my own. You're not your own. You're his, fearfully and wonderfully made. So I don't have to go around being like, well, you know, I'm just so upset with myself and I wish this, it's like God made me who I am. 
God made you who you are. You being created in his image as he saw fit is what gives you value. It's what gives you purpose in this life. It's what causes you then to turn and to value others as well. Because God's authority shapes my identity. But God's authority also shapes my accountability. To go, there is one with whom we have to do. Again, it's interesting, even if you take the time to go to Acts 17, look at Paul's interaction with the philosophers of his day at Mars Hill. Remember that whole exchange where they have the altar to the unknown God? Where does he take them right out of the gate? The God who made the world. Let's go back to the fact that he is creator. And as we are called here to enjoy this life, we're not being told, so just live for you. We're being told there's one who made it all. And ultimately, it's to be about him as the creator. I think we would also be remiss if we missed this thought, because perhaps your mind goes where mine tended to go this past week, where we've been so far. Like, okay, remember your creator, authority. True. True. Remember your, author- your creator in his mercy, in his goodness. Like, he did it. Well, in fact, when he saw something that was not good, he solved that too, so that it could be declared comprehensively very good. Like, to remember, that's why we're saying we remember because of God's sovereignty, not just his authority, because in his sovereignty, yes, he's in control, but he cares and did it well. So we remember in part as an act of worship, Saying, God, I want to praise you. Yes, I want to obey you. Yes, I want to live under you. But I want to do it enjoying the goodness that you've made to be redirected back to you in worship for what you have done as creator. No one could do work that good, that profound, that deep. As we continue to look at the context of the text here, we are told first... Remember, remember because of God's sovereignty, it's focused on your memory, it's focused on God's authority, it's focused on God's mercy, and number four, it's focused on youthful naivety. It's focused on youthful naivety. Do this, remember in the days of the youth. We need to consider this in two different aspects, I believe. One is chronologically. Again, it's written to those who are young in their years. Saying, hey, don't throw off authority, right? In in, in the impulsivity of youth and the autonomy or seeming autonomy of youth, it's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm an authority. Saying, hey, while you're young in years chronologically, don't throw off that authority. Remember your creator, enjoy the life he's given, and thank him. But I think we also need to consider this not just chronologically in our youth, but experientially. This touches on a thought I tried to introduce just briefly this morning. Going, when you're in your youth, there are many things in life that you're naive about. You just haven't experienced yet. And there's a wonderful part of that. Like, you ever wonder again, as I touched this morning, like, do you think Adam and Eve wished they could go back to naivety? I think perhaps, probably. To go, I wish I had never known. 
And in fact, we can argue not just as a concept, but actually within the text that this thought of youthful naivety experientially is there because look at the next phrase. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember when everything's good, when there's not as many problems, when you haven't endured as many trials. Remember then, and I contend within the flow of the text, because you are building your foundation for the future. You are setting your trajectory as to how you will process the hardships and difficulties of this life. And so early on, while while you're just getting started, stay focused on the fact that you have a good God who made everything, who will hold you accountable for how you choose to live. Because there will be days ahead that are hard. Days where you're like, I'm not sure this is worth it. In fact, Solomon's alluded to this before in chapter 11, verse 8. He said there will be bad days. Don't let that steal your joy. Don't let that keep you from remembering the sovereign creator. It's just the simple way that life will work. And I hope as each of us grow older, we will add to our catalog events of hardship and trial where we had to lean in faith on God and go, God, I'm going to praise you in the midst of the difficulty. God, I'm going to seek to believe you in the midst of the hardship. And at the same time, at a catalog of praises, to say, my God is good. My God is worth obeying. My God is worth serving. Yes, difficulty does come. But I will rejoice. I will finish my course with joy. Again, you could go to Deuteronomy 28, blessings and cursing section of Deuteronomy. And God there tells his people that one of the reasons they will go into judgment is because they will experience all of his blessings and they will fail. I believe it's Deuteronomy 28, 47. You can check me on that. It's in Deuteronomy 28 for sure, where he says, because you didn't serve me with joy. You didn't have gratitude for the things that I gave. And I fear that's the trajectory many Christians set themselves on. Go, I got to obey. Miserable. No joy. You know what? I want to remember while I'm young so that I can remember when I'm old. In the midst of youthful naivety, I want to also remember because of God's sovereignty. Again, let me just pause for a minute and ask you, so how is it practically that you do what this command says? I think we need to think about that to go, how is it that I remember? It's a fairly common experience in our house from Melinda to, and I to each other, from us to the kids, from the kids to us, where we'll say, hey, don't let me forget. Like, let me take my burden to remember and put it on you. I don't know how that works for you, but most of the time, if someone's like, hey, help me remember, unless I grab this, Or I'm the smart aleck who's like, hey, by the way, immediately, like after, by the way, don't forget, I fulfilled my responsibility, I'm free, right? So we can walk out of Sunday night going, yeah, I should remember, and we'll wake up Monday morning, or even maybe more so Thursday, and go, hey, what was was the sermon about on Sunday? Ecclesiastes? 
it's helpful when we build in ways where we go, remember, remember, remember. Some of these are very simple ways of application, and I'll guarantee you can add to my list greatly. We've already touched some of them, but be in the Word every day. Be in the Word every day. To go, God, you've entrusted me with revelation from you to think rightly about you, to understand what you've done in creation, to understand how to live when life is difficult and everything's upside down. But be in the Word every day in order to remember. Again, it's Sunday night. You're here. But be in church. To go, God, I need to hear from you. I need to know what your word says. Speak to one another. Have good friends. Who are going to go, you know, I'm, I'm not sure you're thinking about that right. What do you do with this verse over here? Like, how does that verse fit in your situation? If we're going to disregard that, like, what other Bible verse do you go to? Have people that are willing to speak in to help you remember, or if we want to use New Testament words in Hebrews chapter 10, to provoke you to love and to good works, to stir you up. Fourth, what about just memorizing the word? When it's up there, man, what a blessing. Because the Spirit of God has a wonderful way of taking that catalog and going, that, I don't like that, that. Like maybe even from the Sunday school lesson this morning. Romans 13, right? Submit every, like I circled that word every in my Bible this morning. Every ordinance. Right? Memorize the word. Another simple thought we've talked about before, biblical, if you want to go to Deuteronomy 6 and Old Testament Israel as an example, but what about just putting it up in your home? whether that's a picture or a plaque or decoration, or just a three-by-five card stuck on the mirror, stuck above the sink, stuck on the fridge. Maybe just stuck in your pocket, not even at home. But to go, you know what, I want to remember that. I want to remember that. To put it on the lock screen of your phone. To go, when I look, it's, it's right there. To go, I need that. We could keep adding and adding. Maybe it's finding someone to uh, read the scripture with. Maybe it's someone to memorize scripture with. Maybe it's someone just to call and share a verse with. But let me encourage you, find practical ways to remember your creator, your good creator, your sovereign creator, your authoritative creator as you walk through this life. Remember is the command First, because of God's sovereignty. Secondly, remember because of life's frailty. Remember because of life's frailty. We could say this probably a couple different ways. I think you'll get the thought. I'm going to say life's frailty, but it could be its brevity. It could be its difficulty. Remember because life is short and problems will occur. As we continue working through the verses here, I'll note up front to you that interpretations on this section vary greatly. Uh, you know, we are people who go, I want to interpret the Bible literally to go, what is this saying? And yet I think this is one of those texts where Solomon is speaking literally, uh, Solomon is speaking rather illustratively 
using a common day experience to go, you know what this looks like, but let's apply it in this manner. What do I mean by that? I, I think what you're seeing in the verses that follow is Solomon describing a town that is going through difficulty. And if you pick up the commentators, they're going to go, it's because of an impending storm, or it's because an enemy is coming, or it's because someone has passed away. And certainly by the time you get to verses 5, 6, and 7, particularly verses 6 and 7, a funeral is in view. Okay? We don't know exactly what the nature of that difficulty is. But I believe Solomon is using the town to vividly illustrate what, it, what happens to each of us physically as well. In fact, I'll note for you up front that really verse 5 is what made me go, this is where Solomon is not just talking about a town going through difficulty. He's painting a picture here. So we look at the illustration. I want to walk you through it very quickly here, uh, kind of saying here's what the illustration says, but here's what I believe the application is to how we physically age, what we physically go through. Verse 2 introduces the idea of difficulty coming, going, hey, you do this now. You remember in the days of your youth, while the sun is out, the light is shining, the moon and stars are present, everything hasn't gone dark yet. Like, things are okay. You're not yet at the end where hardship is present. And it's like, man, it is much more difficult now. He's saying, remember in the time and the days where things are easy. There's a leadership saying out there that says, never trust anybody who doesn't walk with a limp, right? Youth is pretty resilient. Age walks with a limp. There's experience present. There's things that have gone through. And Solomon's saying, while you're young, while the light's still out, before everything goes dark, make sure you remember God now. Within the illustration, then, he points in verse 3 to those who serve and he's saying, those, those who serve are trembling. They're terrified because of what's going on. I think by way of application to aging, he's also then saying, our arms, our hands grow weak. We're not able to take care of things like we once did. He says there, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Like, hey, a problem's present. I'm, I'm not able to do this. You know, again, as, as we age, things that we used to hold on to firmly, not so much. Again, it stands out in my mind, even this afternoon, just spent a few brief moments with Melinda's grandma. She's 96. She turns 97 in just a couple weeks. Strength is not there. Sharpness is not there. Solomon here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is, I believe, saying, here's what it's like when this town goes through difficulty and it's left desolate to describe the physical process that we go through as we age. The keepers of the house tremble. Next, he says, the strong men shall bow themselves. And within the illustration of the town, he points to those who are strong. They're able to protect, but now they're weighed down. Again, I think you can picture this again as you've watched someone. Maybe you've experienced it, and age happens, and your back and your legs aren't as strong, and begin to crumple a little bit, begin to go down. It says the grinders cease because they are few, and the idea here in terms of the illustration is pointing to fewer people being available to grind flour to provide for the people of the town. And yet within the terms that are used, many different commentators point not just to what happens with flour out and grinding, but actually to the fact that as people aged, particularly in that culture, they started to lose the ability to eat because they started to lose their teeth. 
seems to be the idea within the words that are used within the text and other places as well. Next, he says, and those that look out of the windows be darkened. Painting that picture of the town by way of illustration, it's an idea of affluence where someone could sit. They didn't actually have to be at work, which would be societally rare in that day. And to go, but in this situation, those people are gone. They're not at the windows. They can't watch anymore. There's work that needs to be done. There's not hope to look out the window and see when someone's coming home. Within this simple application to aging, he appears to be referencing the eyes and the struggle to see. Within the illustration that he paints as we come to verse 4, he basically is saying there's less noise in the streets, there's less work taking place, there's less busyness to wake you up, right? I mean, when it comes to aging, saying there's less talking going on, there's less eating going on, there's even less sleeping going on. Like, for them, you know, bird, whoop, I heard a bird, I, I woke up, I, I'm ready to go. I kind of chuckle at that now because uh, growing up, I was that kid who could sleep all the day. My mom would be like, get out of bed. It's time to go to school. And somewhere along the way, that shifted. I don't know that I fall the old category yet. But it's like I heard something. I'm awake, completely awake, thinking about being in Myanmar. Every morning, the chickens are waking me up. Oh, my goodness. Like some of you would sleep right through. He's saying, you know, there's a day when busyness is going on. Like, I got to get out of bed. I got stuff to do. And then there's a day where you're not as busy, but you can't sleep anyway. He's painting that picture in light of the town, I believe, in verse 4. Within the illustration at the end of verse 4, he points to mourners being present, joyful times absent, the daughters of music are brought low. And in simple application to aging, there's less reason to sing. You come to the beginning of verse 5, he points to the dangers that are out there. He's like, if we go out, we're afraid of what's high. Fears are in the way. There's, there's a danger in going out because of the risk that's there, or even perhaps because of the simple concern of following. But in the middle of verse 5, there's kind of three agricultural pictures. And if you say, let's just interpret this straight literally, you start to go, well, what in the world is he talking about if he's not referring to aging? Right? You start to say, okay, the almond trees shall flourish. So the town is dying, but man, those almond trees, whew, they are taken off. Okay? What is that talking about? Again, it seems to be that he's pointing to the whiteness of the blossoms going, there's a time where whiteness comes. For some, it just leaves completely, right? But furthering the idea, it says the grasshopper shall be a burden. No longer is the grasshopper just bouncing along, full of life. But he paints it as, here's something you would expect to be vibrant, and it's, it's burdened down. There's no longer any bouncing along through life. Very curious phrase then here in verse 5. He says, desire shall fail. I recognize, again, there's probably different translations represented in the room. And if you're reading the King James or the ESV, you're reading a translation that's more interpretive than it is literal which is not the usual way we say that. If you work up the Hebrew word that is used here, it's represented in the New American Standard Version, if that's what you have with you tonight. It says caperberry. And you're like, caperberry? What in the world are we talking about caperberries? Like, why is this here? How, how do we get from caperberry to desire? Well, again, without going into a lot of detail this evening, the caperberry in antiquity was an aphrodisiac. 
it was used to help people in their desires. And he's saying, that doesn't work anymore. Those days are gone. He's painting a very vivid picture of old age in verse 5. He's saying it's gone. It's, it's not there. Old age has set in. All through this text, whether it's the strength of your arms or the strong men in the city, whether it's the legs or the strong men there, the keepers of the house before, whether it's the eyes or going to the window, whether it's the whiteness of the almond tree, I believe representing the whiteness of old age in the hair, saying, life's frailty is before you. Life's brevity is moving on. The simple command is, remember, remember. Remember your creator because of God's sovereignty. Do it while you're young. But also remember your creator because of life's frailty. Age will set in. Things will change over time. And what you cling to is God has made all. And he is good. Third, it continues on within the illustration, but I think it's worth breaking out, is we remember not only because of God's sovereignty and life's frailty, but third, we remember because of eternity. We remember because of eternity. Here, the application becomes even more direct than just the city. You see it there in verse 5 where he says, because man goeth to his long home. It's like life's over at this point. Man has entered eternity. In fact, that word long, same word if you look it up in uh, Isaiah 40, verse 28. In Isaiah 40, verse 28, it is used to speak of your everlasting God is the way it's translated there. So in other words, the word long can mean everlasting. It's that day when man goes to his everlasting home and then we get the idea of the funeral in the next phrase, and the mourners go about the streets. Like up to this point, you might be like, what, how's pastor talking about this illustration of the town and application to aging? When you get here, it's very clear. We've reached the end of life. We've now gone to eternity. And so while you're living, while you're going through the challenges of life, remember God because there is an eternity ahead, and you will go to an everlasting home. As believers, we have the hope of eternity with God through Jesus Christ. To go, what awaits there is far better. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To realize there is a day when tears will be wiped away, when difficulties will be gone and will forever be with the Lord. And so let that reality, remembering your creator, because of eternity, shape how we live now. I believe verse 6 is also painting the picture of death, which is being mourned at the end of verse 5 with this idea the silver cord be loose, the golden bowl be broken, the pitcher be broken at the fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern. The idea of these things that you would go to take that which sustains life, being food or particularly in context here, water, are destroyed. Like You don't have the ability to get that which is the source of life anymore. It's either been broken or it no longer works. Like, that last picture is that of the, like the wheel at the top of a well. You're not drawing out anymore. That wheel is stuck, it's bro or it's broken rather. It's not there to draw up anymore because death has come. The mourners are out. And he paints it very biblically accurate. Obviously, we're looking at Scripture, but in other sections of Scripture, very scripturally accurate picture than in verse 7. 
saying, then shall the dust return to earth as it was. Our physical bodies, that which has deteriorated, I believe in the picture of verse 3, 4, into verse 5, continues its deterioration, returns to dust. One day to be resurrected. But then he says, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. It's that aforementioned everlasting home. Man, go to his, ever, his long home, and for the believer, his spirit, his soul, returns unto the God who gave it. It's that verse I alluded to already in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You remember that context in 2 Corinthians 5. We have this earthly tabernacle, right? It's a tent. But if it be dissolved, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You know, there's a more permanent dwelling place there because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Solomon's not a fatalist here. He's a realist. He's saying, enjoy the life that God has given. Rejoice in it. Start while you're young so that as time goes on and the difficulties of life come, you can persist. But do all of that by remembering. Remembering God's sovereignty in your life. He is your creator. He's good. He's your authority. He's in control. But remember it also knowing life's frailty. It's going to go quick. It's like that vapor, James 4. But then finally, remember it because eternity comes. There's a day where me and you are going to our long home. We don't know when that day is, but until that day, we rejoice, we remove, and we remember. Let's pray. Father, once more, I thank you for this text of Scripture that's challenging my own life to be remembering you as I seek to rejoice and enjoy the life that you have given to me. Lord, I pray for each of us here, myself included, that we would balance a rightful, worshipful enjoyment with doing that so that you receive glory, not so that we live in selfishness. Lord, I pray that in the times of difficulty, we would endure, we would obey, we would believe you, that God, you might receive glory from us there as well. Lord, I pray that you challenge each of us in light of this text, that we would live in a way that's pleasing to you this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray.